Hello, hello everyone. It's your girl Gabrielle from A Step Ahead Tutoring Services. Welcome to a brand new episode of Hot Topics. So if you're not already familiar with us, this is the web series where we talk real talk about things that are steamy, right? So we like to talk about things in education, employment, mental health, physical health. We like to talk about a wide variety of topics, anything that is hot. And today we are going to talk about empowering homeschool parents. That is our topic for today. And we're having episodes leading up to the panel. And if you're watching this right now, I hope that you come to the panel tomorrow, October 28th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But right now, uh, we are going to talk about how we can empower homeschool parents. And as we go throughout the episode, if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat and we will answer them to the best of our ability. So I have a guest with me who's going to help me with this discussion. Her name is Jan Sixth. I'm going to bring her to the stage right now. Hi, Jan, how are you doing today? Hi, Gabrielle, I'm doing well. Awesome, awesome. So our topic today is empowering homeschool parents. And I pose this question to you. What does empowering homeschool parents mean to you? Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to focus on meeting the goal. Uh, to me, that uh, a homeschooling parent, any parent actually, would like to know how they could help their child now. Later, how to have the child become an independent learner. And then finally, to encourage lifelong learning. So that would be the goal, I would say, of most parents. In my career, uh, over uh, more than four decades of a career, addressing the problems that parents have told me they have would go something like this. Help, I don't remember how to do this, let alone explain it. Where do I start? My child's still confused and now I'm frustrated. I just got home. Our schedules are so crowded already. I wish I could help without all the drama. I'm feeling rusty. Mom, can you help me find the gerunds in these sentences? I'm worried about teaching middle and high school curriculum. It's hard to watch my child struggle. These are some of the, the problems that parents have when they are trying to work with their child. So empowering parents would be meeting this goal, these goals, and also helping them through the problem areas that I just uh, told you about. What are, because you brought up a lot of like fears and anxieties that, uh, that parents have when it comes to homeschooling. So what are some things that parents can do to, uh, to, to teach a basic lesson? Well, First of all, the homeschooling parent, it's really a great opportunity for you and your child. I've always enjoyed actually working with homeschooling parents. I've done curriculum for them before. I, I feel that you give the uh, outstanding effort uh, in behalf of your child. And, and I actually uh, consider you to be your child's first teacher. So if you're, if you're struggling with some of the difficulties that parents have faced, I have found that teaching basic, uh, fundamental, pivotal skills helps a child understand the subject well enough that they can actually use it in different areas. Uh, for example, if a, uh, if a child understood the, the uh, rules for punctuation, uh, that child would not only be able to read better, but uh, do story problems. There's punctuation in story problems that group things that are related, ideas that are related to each other. Uh, they would be able to write better too. So knowing a fundamental pivotal skill like the rules for punctuation 
help in several different areas. So a parent doesn't have to teach it all. They can teach basic skills. Uh, I've worked with children who have been absent from school for a protracted period of time. Perhaps they've had uh, illnesses, uh, autoimmune illnesses, cancer, uh, broken bones, surgery that keep them out of school for several weeks or months at a time. So the, the skills that I'm discussing with you today actually helped get those children back on par into the classroom when they were able to attend again. Um, the, I've worked in many different states where the, uh, the, the, the states have to provide home instruction for a child who is absent due to an illness like that. Uh, some states give only 10 hours of instruction a week, uh, others only five. So if you're going to teach a child and bring them back to par with five hours of instruction a week, covering the language arts, math, uh, science, and social, you really have to teach basic pivotal skills. Absolutely. So the thing is, you know, they're, they're home, right? Like they're not in a school classroom. So unless you have the sophisticated parents that have the whiteboard and the erasers and, and all that, you know, what can, what resources can parents use in the home to teach these skills? Oh, that's a really good question. I have actually tried to keep my manipulatives so basic that you could grab something from your house. Uh, for example, I, I've taught the uh, number system where, where you've got real and, and uh, uh, natural numbers, and uh, there's a whole hierarchy of this. <clears throat> and actually, I've used the measuring cups from uh, your, like your teaspoon and your your uh, just your measuring cups that you would use for baking because they nest inside of each other and the number system does too. There's a, a large area, then it breaks into a smaller, 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 smaller. So you can actually just grab some of your utensils from the kitchen and teach us a, a subject like that. When I teach multiplication, I teach with a deck of cards. I pull out the, uh, the royal cards and the tens, those are gone from the deck. And then those are my, those are my manipulatives. So I might hold a card like this in lieu of flashcards. And then I can change the, I can change the, um, the problem just by doing this. Let's say we were practicing the fours, or oops, got the wrong one, of the fours. So you would just, Feed your cards like that. Uh, this gives you a lot of, of leeway too, because you can show the problem with if you're doing if you're doing the fours. I'm backwards here, my left and right. Uh, if you're doing the fours line, you can show it like this, or you can put you, your pro, your child can see the problem this way or vertically. So it's you that the, your child gets used to all the different combinations and it's so easy to use these flashcards instead of flashcards. In fact, I've had parents tell me that they put a deck of cards in their purse or pocket when they're out perhaps uh, at a restaurant after everyone's ordered, there's that dead time in there where you're waiting for your meal. They've pulled out their cards and, do, and, and uh, done some practice drills with their kids. I used to use this with my own son and daughter when he was taking his guitar lessons. I was sitting in the car with the do my daughter flash, uh, flipping cards for multiplication. And what about, what about reading? What can, what can, a, what resources can parents use in their home to, to teach reading skills? Oh, that's another good question. I have actually some some uh, manipulatives that I want to show you. One of the biggest things uh, that you can do 
particularly for like a preschooler or an elementary child would be to show a picture prompt in this case i'm looking for categories to to describe this as um, a who what where when why and how in this particular picture a child might respond to who's in the picture maybe that uh, they might say a cat i would probably uh, push a little bit to get a little more information. Well, what's that cat's name or who is that? And the child might come up with fuzzy. And what's fuzzy doing? Maybe a response would be pushing the wheelbarrow. You see how it, the, these, these responses match the, the uh, picture. From then, from there, the child can put this information into sentence structure. I've done this with as I've done this exercise with a child as young as uh, three years old. Of course, the child isn't writing, but I scribe for the, the, the child and make sure we're in all of these categories. And then the, the child puts this into sentence structure by just talking to me like uh, Fuzzy's pushing a wheelbarrow. He's at his customer's house. It might do something like that. And, and from there, that information then is put into a, a, like a notebook. And the child is reading his or her own stories. Very effective. But as we get a little higher, remember that these pivotal skills build on each other. So you might start out at a preschool level where you're doing most of the scribing and, and prompting. And then it, when the child gets into like first grade or second grade, uh, the child might be able to fill in the who, what, where by itself and write the sentences. Uh, when you get into the higher grades, you're going to take that same basic pivotal skill again, and we're going to bump it up one more time and get into the elements of the story. Now we're actually saying these who, what, where, whens uh, translate to the character, plot, setting, theme, and point of view. These are the elements of the story. And this gives you sort of a plot line using those elements of the story in the, the way the stories unfold. So here we have the beginning of the story, the exposition, uh, some rising and falling action. And then finally, the story has a climax to it where the, the problem in the story is, is solved and the story ends. But the concept started way back with who, what, where, when, why, and how. You can see how that builds as it goes on. And, <clears throat> and I see a lot of construction paper and drawing and <laughs> so, and parents can design it themselves. You know, they can, they can get some construction paper, computer paper and a marker and they can make their own charts, right? That's right. And that could be, if you're a homeschooling parent, that might just be your uh, arts and crafts, but it's arts and crafts with a purpose. Could you imagine having uh, a child actually make this plot line, uh, learning and labeling as he or she goes, or perhaps after the story is written, the, the child could illustrate it. So those are, those are some of the, uh, this concept, of course, then dovetails into the writing exercise. So not only are we reading and uh, perhaps reading the story and noticing who's in the story, where are they, you're doing the, the, the characters, the plot, the setting when you're actually in the reading situation, and then you take the same information and put it into the writing exercise. So these basic pivotal skills can serve you for multiple subjects. Awesome. All right, so let's jump into writing. So now what resources can parents use in their home to teach writing skills? Well, writing skills, like I said before, feed off of this sheet that when, when you either take that information from a picture prompt or from an actual story. So at, a, at an elementary level or an, 
uh, maybe a, a listening area, area of uh, a child doesn't know how to read quite yet, but they are listening to the story, you're going to be able to uh, ask them, well, who's in the story? Well, why did they do that? Well, what's the problem? Did they ever, did they ever solve that problem? You know, you're having this discussion with your child. They're actually really fun to do. It, it, kids, little kids have uh, quite an imagination and they, they understand things a lot more than we give them credit. As we get into the uh, elementary and high school years, now we're actually focusing them on the, the definitions of plot and character. Now, as far as the writing goes, they're going to need one more skill, one more basic skill. And that is uh, how to how to prepare a, a sentence, the sentence structures. Uh, that kind of goes into the grammar section too, or like of the language arts. But I teach three basic sentence structures, and I find that most children are able to to uh, finish homework assignments and do like their five paragraph essays if they start out with these basic sentence structures simple compound and complex sentence structures simple and compound structures answer factual types of questions like who what where when and the the complex sentence structure answers questions that ask why or how or explain so if their reading comprehension asked a why question Knowing those three basic sentence structures would direct the child to that particular uh, sentence structure. It's, it, it's an efficient way to do it. It's not the only way, it's just efficient. Once the sentence structures are understood, then we can start actually putting together paragraphs. And uh, one of the things that a, the, the school does, you know, uh, teaches, and I would imagine homeschool parents would, would uh, be very successful with this, is a five paragraph essay where you have a definite introduction with a thesis statement. Those aren't all that hard to write. And then uh, the three, three body paragraphs that feed off of that uh, the, the actual thesis statement and a summary or a wrap up in, in the fifth paragraph. And those, once a child gets the hang of making that introduction paragraph and, and giving himself a roadmap with a, with a thesis sentence, the body paragraphs are just logically follow. And the, the summary is sort of a wrap up of the intro. Awesome. All right, so let's get into the, the less core subjects. So things like, the histories, right? U.S. history, global history. Um, I imagine things like that. Um, they can easily just go to a museum, right? So, or a library, right? So is there anything else like parents can use for, for things, for those types of subjects? Uh, teaching any of the subjects, I would suggest that the parents understand what are those basic skills for for each of the disciplines one understands what the goal is or what is the most helpful in those areas then uh, the actually making the lesson plan efficient and effective is fairly easy with science and social studies though there well, let me back up for a second there in my world there's there are two basic types of reading we always need a purpose for why we read. Uh, if you're reading a story, you're into a fictional story where uh, it's not necessarily true. It could feel like it's true, but we're into like a Harry Potter where there's, uh, you know, a lot of, there could be fictional characters is what I'm saying. When you're doing uh, subjects like social studies and science, now you're reading nonfiction. And the nonfiction reading is really very factual. So I, I teach note-taking to uh, in, in the, the disciplines of social studies and science. There's also note-taking in the, in the uh, non, 
in the fiction, but we've already discussed it. That's that's the character plot setting one, the who, what, where. The the factual content of a textbook in a in a subject like biology or earth science or chemistry, as well as uh, ancient history. Those have their their own vocabulary that you you have to understand the nuance of the words in order to discern uh, what exactly you're talking about. It's it's more precise. So I have a a flashcard and a baby flashcard technique that I do with kids to learn vocabulary. Unfortunately, I didn't pull that here. Oh, oh wait a minute, maybe I did too. Um, oh, I did. Okay. So this just get this is just a, a template of what I'm talking about. Perhaps the vocabulary word is bird or reptile. On th think of this on perhaps a a small card, maybe a three by five or less. You don't want a big card for this. On one side, the actual term goes on it. And on the other side of the card is a, a condensed version of the uh, definition, not a copy everything that's in the dictionary uh, type of thing. Uh, kids do that all the time and then they can't remember it. This is a almost a bullet point idea. And then uh, that would be the card to study back and front. And then a, what I call a baby flash card is also made. And these then are the, after the child uh, actually does the studying of the meaning of the vocabulary word, the, this part of the card is turned upside down on the table so they can see it. It's, a, it's on a flat surface. And then the baby flash cards are pushed next to the big card in order to uh, match, it's a matching exercise. When the child has exhausted herself uh, with all that she knows, I ask the kids not to put any of the cards down that they don't know for sure. It, uh, no guessing at this time, I don't wanna have to have them back up and relearn. But the baby flash card then is put next to the definition side. And then when they're, they've exhausted what they know, they flip the card over, and if reptile matches reptile, it's almost like they go, yes, oh, I got it. You know, that's, it's a self-praise, and it's, it's quite good. They'll go, a child will go on to uh, give me more of that because the definitions are easier. Also, while I'm, on this, um, while I'm on the topic of social studies and science, small cards like these with, uh, oh, let, let's say, uh, you had to put, you had to identify the countries of Central America. If you wrote uh, these cards, maybe Nicaragua, you know, the, all the all of Panama, the the countries of South of Central America, that then could be placed on a flat surface, and the cards could be pushed around in order to uh, reconstruct the map. It's a good way for them to learn how to place them. I've used this this push around the card idea too when I'm, I'm teaching health or biology where we recreate a human skeleton. You can put a, the card with cranium and clavicle and make the arms and the whole thing on the table. You don't wanna be near an open window or a happy dog. No, but the, uh, the kids enjoy using that and it's it doesn't feel like studying. It's very effective though. All right, awesome. So let's talk about, I guess let's talk about what are what are things that parents are doing wrong? What in terms of how they're teaching basic skills, whether that's math, reading, writing, science, social studies, what are some things that parents are, are doing wrong or they're not doing enough of? Well, I think that there's gonna have to be a learning curve for an adult too. You, you just, you're not gonna just jump into this and be, and be perfect at it right away. Uh, it, I, I don't think I was as good of a teacher at the beginning of my career as 
as it uh, as it progressed. So you're going to have to cut yourself a break on that. You're going to do the best you can, and you'll learn as you go along. But I think that it's important that you personally understand the goals and how you can use your manipulatives. Many uh, homeschooling families uh, make purchases with uh, with curriculum and with their with their books and such. If they're going to optimize the use of the material that you're buying, you need to understand what your goal is. So, for example, if you were to to uh, teach the multiplication tables, let me go back to that for a second. Let me show you. A lot of times, you would make a chart, something like this, you see them in notebooks all the time, where basically we do, we put one through nine across the top and one through nine across the side. And then inside uh, with, a, with the, uh, a vertical and a horizontal, you'll get the answer. These are in, these are in a lot of different books. But actually this sort of uh, frightens most kids. They go, oh my gosh, I'll never learn all that. So I have found that if I separate this into really just what's necessary, this is really all you need. These are the answers to the multiplication tables. Whoops, over here. These are the, I've put them in decades. So we have the single digits, the teen de decade, the 20s, 30s, 40s. And as you can see, as you get into the really hard combinations, the ones that scare most of the kids, you have very few answers to remember. This is much better than this chart. And this is something that I, I put together as I went along. I, re I recognized that this was a more efficient way to show it so you didn't scare the, the, the child. Um, and I would imagine that you'll find that too. You're going to find different ways to say, to say, uh, you know, that you're teaching technique. Now, in my case, I've repeated this over and over again for the lots and lots of children that I've tutored over the years. So I go like, wow, that was like, that was really good. And I, it was really effective. So I'm going to try that on the next child who's trying to learn his multiplication tables. In your case, you might have several children and you might use this technique once or twice, but you, you can, you can uh, study or expose yourself to these techniques from an experienced tutor and then feed off the ones that you think will work for you. So I think that a parent can help themselves by doing a little research about the manipulatives they buy and and uh, see what's available in uh, that that someone who's had a lot of experience has already put together for them. Awesome. And along the lines of manipulatives, and you don't necessarily have to buy them, you know, going back to using resources in the home, right? If you're doing, for multiplication, I imagine, I mean, I'm kind of thinking in terms of younger kids, you're, it's repeated addition, right? So if you have small items at home, like, um, I think something like socks or something, right? And you, mm -hmm. okay, what's two times four? Okay, so I'm going to make two rows of, you know, four pairs of socks or something. Oh, did I say two times four? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, two rows of four pairs of socks or something like that. And so it's, you can easily, you don't have to go out and buy anything. It's just um, using creativity and imagination and, and using the resources at home to teach, to teach things like that. What do you, what do you think of that? I think that's an excellent idea. And the, the pairs of socks that you're talking about actually set the child up for understanding a story problem where they don't actually give a number. They're saying 
pairs of socks. And a child would have to realize that pair actually translates to two. So yes, anything that's real and, and in the home is going to be part of that child's environment. Uh, it, it, I would absolutely use whatever I could. Uh, money is a, another good thing, especially for multiplication. Five nickels, five times five is the quarter. So you could, could use that. Um, I think I would like to tell you too uh, that some of the manipulatives you don't have to buy, you could make them. And I, when I say you, I actually mean your child. If you'd notice that above me, I've, I have placed value where I've actually, I actually use this when I tutor. The placed value is very important that a child understands that each of the categories here has a uh, only one a single digit number can go into those categories. So if we're here with the ones column, it's it's in the like a townhouse, if you will. There are three rooms in each house, and when you go to the thousands house, you're really actually next door. So your columns are divided up into sections that have commas between where the walls of these townhouses are. So the, that actually shows place value. But the concept, remember I said that you start out at a basic level and then that feeds into something that's more, um, more complex. So this basic idea of place value can actually then go on. I've only used just, uh, the, this is paper, like for a wrapping paper. Okay, I, I've taken this. I've made the houses and your child could make these houses too. This time, instead of labeling them ones column, tens column, I have uh, used the powers. So the, here's 10 to the zero power, which is the ones column. 10 to the first power is the tens column. 10 times 10, when we have a power of two, we're saying that it's 10 times itself, two times, that's the hundreds column and so forth. So now you've taken this townhouse row, push it up again, this row of townhouses, place value. Now we're getting into our upper elementary and middle school years, also high school uses these powers. And you can see that they, that the numbers are to infinity, but I've done it with townhouses. These can be done by the child in the home as your art project and then hung on the wall as a reference. Now I really got geeky and I went way, way out in the number system. This time I did a vertical one and you can see that the townhouses that we used, here's the powers, and I also added the um, prefixes to these columns. This one, these are the, the columns that we would use for uh, metrics, which certainly will be, would be used in science as well as the math. But you can see that they would, your child would be uh, familiar with some of the weirder ones. Here's a micro, as in microchip or uh, nano. Perhaps they've heard Pico. With a computer, we've, we actually use these words. And in the other direction, how about we have a megabyte and a gigabyte? So it's, it all feeds back from those simplistic townhouses when the place value was taught in the early elementary grades possibly third grade or so. And then the, the exponents were in upper elementary, sixth grade, seventh grade, uh, and then definitely used in the high school level. So you're not recreating the wheel here. These basic skills that start out with simplistic concepts at a preschool or early elementary school year are then 
uh, used again and again as it's it as you go through the this the grade levels. So that should alleviate uh, your fear a bit with teaching those upper subjects in the middle school and high school because the concept co goes back to an earlier time. Awesome. And you are very creative. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> All right. So a question just popped up here. I'm going to put it on the screen. How can you do earth science labs at home with your kids that's cost efficient? Oh, that, that earth science one makes me think of the, uh, the volcano that, you know, that everybody does that volcano one where the, it, you put the, the chemicals together and it erupts. But an, an earth science could be uh, a layering of sand and pebbles in, in like a terrarium. Uh, I know that I've done, I've, I've done seeds where I've, we've sprouted the seeds. You, you could take a, a bean and just cover it with uh, a wet paper towel. I've used those in plastic baggies where the, the, uh, the napkin or the, the towel the, got wet. So the bean is on the, the towel and you keep that damp. Uh, but you can see how the, the, the seed sprout uh, a leaf and a root through the plastic bag. Oh, those are, that's a lot of fun. And then actually take that seed and plant it and have, that, have the ability to, to watch that plant grow. Uh, but I would go with a, like an earth science terrarium. That sounds like a, a good idea to me. Do you find you could be creative with the older students? Because I see a lot of like manipulatives and a lot of those pictures and drawings. Like I, I could see it for, maybe it's just me, like I could see it for more like elementary kids. But what about kids in high school? How, what creative ways can we show them? Um, I know like I'm stronger in math. Um, so what creative ways can we show things like algebra or geometry? How do you, um, how do you use your creativity to show those types of skills? Uh, uh, the flashcards and the baby flashcards have saved some high school and middle school kids' grades in biology and the sciences and history. I, I've heard them tell me that. They've, they've, they said, oh, I've used it here, I've used it there. So the, the actual creation of the, of the cards, the flashcard, the baby flashcard really does work. Uh, we, we were creative with that build the skeleton. That was a high school level biology class where we put that skeleton together and labeled it. Um, so those, that, that was a creative way to do it. With the, the kids in the higher grades, they really, really have to know how to take notes. So I stress that a lot. Now, note-taking, they say a uh, picture's worth a thousand words. So let's say, for example, they were making a note on the Continental Railroad when, when uh, it started in, in California and they, they went east and the other part of it started in the east and went west and they, they met in, I believe it was Colorado. At any rate, it, the note on that would be, if you were to write it out, it would be pretty lengthy, I would think. And besides that, if you could draw a picture of a railroad, maybe the track where it started on both ends, where it, it the, where they drove that golden spike, uh, that could just be drawn into the notes. I've seen kids take that creativity and use it to facilitate a, a smaller note. Uh, try to arrange it so they understood it better with a picture instead of a word. So I would, I would think I would encourage that part of it. Um, notes are really, really important as you get into the older grades. They're important in the younger grades too. 
but that's where they can, they really have so much reading to do that uh, the, the note taking is valuable. A lot of times the teacher will take away some of those uh, handouts that were given during the time or the homework assignments to grade, and those kids get the, the assignments back too late to be able to study. But if a child takes his or her own notes, it's their possession and they always have it. So they can actually budget their time better and start studying a little bit before uh, they, the test. If it's, if it's a Thursday test, they could actually start reviewing that, that over the weekend before if they had their own. Awesome, awesome. So that's a couple of times that you brought up note-taking. Can you delve into that a little bit more? Let's talk about the, the mechanics of it. So what can students do to better take notes or what can parents do to help teach that? So let's, let's delve into that a little bit more. Okay. Again, we have to decide what, uh, whether we're reading nonfiction or fiction. So I go back to what I showed you before, this who, what, where. Okay, when a child is reading, now I'm talking about in the upper grades now, because in the lower grades, you're just gonna go who, what, where, when, and they'll fill those in, you know, that, because that's focusing on them on, on the picture prompt or the story is so simplistic that it's pretty obvious. But when you get into Macbeth or novels or, you know, when you have a lot going on in the story, then we're going to need to focus on the elements of the story, the characters, plot, setting, theme, and point of view. Many children will read and they, they don't take any notes at all or they'll They'll have to reread in order to, to put their book report together or a summary. So if the, if the child is, understands that most teachers are going to ask something about the elements of the story. Let's say that these are the, the elements of the story. So the exposition basically means at it's at the beginning of the story. You meet a few of the characters and you get a, an idea of where the, the story is taking place. That's important. So when a child understands that, they, that they've just read the exposition, they should write that down. Now, the next thing that happens after we meet a couple of the characters and sort of figure out where they are, something happens to kick the story into gear. It's a, called an inciting event. And this is basically, let's say we've got two characters uh, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll have Jim and John in this. Okay. So we meet those two characters and before you know it, Jim shoves John. So that's an inciting event. Uh-oh, John has a problem now. There's a conflict. It, the, ch the child that's reading this needs to understand that these are the categories that need to be noted, unless the reader wants to go back and reread that whole novel. So as you get to, as a, as a character is introduced in a story, we don't know whether that's a main character or a minor character. I suggest to the kids that they have a, a page for every single character that they meet, where the information is kind of uh, fettered out a little bit at a time. So we might, we might meet the character John, but we don't understand that his relationship with Jim is uh, their brothers. We just know that Jim shoved John. We don't know why. But later on in the, in the story, we, are, we understand that there's a relationship between the boys. You would go back to John's page of note-taking and fill in that detail that uh, Jim is John's brother. Then you would go to Jim's page and fill in, John is Jim's brother. You see how that would, we, we get a, as the story unfolds, we get more and more information about those characters and we understand the relationship between them and among them, if there are many characters. So for older kids, the, the, the characters 
there might be some that really stand out. We, we have a lot of information about that. There's your major character right there. Awesome, awesome. And also, you know, when it comes to the long stories, definitely um, reading in parts. So as you go through, like take one page, break it up into four equal parts. And as you, I mean, probably for the older kids, but you know, the who, what, where, when, why, how, I know we learned that in elementary school, but you know, it's definitely a great resource for, uh, for uh, middle school and even high school. So it's those basic skills that, that, that carry you from the beginning to the end. What do, you, what do you say to that? Well, I say that the who, what, where at the elementary level uh, translates to character plot setting at, in the upper grade. They just use fancier terms for it. But uh, a high school student could still do who, what, where and, and come out okay. All right, fabulous, fabulous. All right, so we are going to uh, wrap it up. So do you have any final advice for the viewers, for any parents that need help with, you know, how do I teach certain skills? You know, I'm trying to save money. Everyone's trying to save money. So, or, or, or any advice in general, any final words that you would like to give to our viewers? Uh, I certainly think that the, the, the building blocks of, us, of the discipline need to be focused upon, that there are certain pivotal skills that are foundational. And if those are taught, for example, in spelling, a foundational skill would be phonics. In that, that would permeate spelling and also just reading in general. A pivotal skill would be understanding prefixes and suffixes. If you, if you understood the meanings of those different words, you would be able to understand a lot of vocabulary. In a subject like uh, grammar, it would be the parts of speech. How do those, how do nouns and verbs function? What's an adjective? How can you use that? These are the tools I would say like a, a bag of tools really that you would use if you if you were um, like a, a carpenter and you needed to take a, a switch plate off of the, of the wall you would go maybe to your garage or your bag of tools and you would go well i'm not going to use my shovel you know i'm looking for a tool that would actually work in that situation so when you get your screwdriver, you might have to be refine it. Is it a Phillips or is it a slotted screwdriver that you need? That is exactly the same idea with uh, the, the way numbers work, the way parts of speech work. They all behave in a certain way and they are the tools of learning. So you're gonna really just choose the appropriate tool for the appropriate situation that you're dealing with as far as like, uh, you know, learning situation. This is where you as a parent, as a homeschooling parent, if you familiarize yourself with the basic tools of the discipline and how they're used, you can easily direct your student. And then you're imparting to your student to be, start thinking about how they can use those tools uh, that's the way you get them independent of, of you. And then out as an adult, they're going to be able to use those same skills for a lifelong learning. So that meets the goal of teach my child now, make my child independent of me, and then give him that joy of being able to learn whatever they need or whatever the situation involves. Because as an adult, I've had things that I've had to research. Uh, what about those uh, food allergies? Well, I would use the same skills that I'm talking about now. I would read, take notes, jot things that were important, and then get to the problem that I had. So just what you're saying is 
in in the lesson planning in the actual not just the plan but also the implementation of the lesson planning to you recommend that parents spend time especially in the younger ages to to build those foundational skills so for reading for example you mentioned phonics for math my thinking is adding subtracting multiplying division um, for writing even things like basic things like penmanship um, you know writing within the lines um, uh, how to write properly write letters out um, so taking the time to hone in on those basic simple foundational skills will will take the child a long way is that basically the gist of what you're saying it is it is exactly what i'm trying to say that this is not brain surgery you're you're, you're taking basic foundational skills that that they're the tools of learning and i've tried to explain them in the in the in the books that i've written and in the videos that i've i've done for the website uh, i've tried to arrange them so it follows in a in a logical order in order to empower parents so they understand what their how those tools function and how they can uh, actually be used in several dif different disciplines uh, eventually an older child will be able to fetter this out for himself he'll be able to use the videos that are available or the the, the concepts in the how-to books uh, to, you know, not have to involve the parent. Any time that you use now with your child to give to have organizational and study skills and a, uh, put putting their their information away when they're finished with homework, they put it in a spot where they can find it the next day. The the categorizing, the you know the sorting, all of those skills are very important for actual actually learning and studying, you'll find if you put in the, the, the work and the time with your younger children, you will not have to sit next to them when they're older. I, I never checked my children's book bag after probably um, elementary school. They, they just were on autopilot after that. Occasionally they would ask something, but it was uh, really quite remarkable how quickly a child can uh, become independent, and it's such a it's it's such a boost to their uh, to their growth, and they feel so good about themselves when they can do things alone. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. And let me I'm going to put up your banner right now. So. You guys, if you would like more information about Jan, if, oh, well, let me do this first. Um, if you have more, if you would like more information about Jan 6, about her, about her services. Oh, I meant to do that scrolling, but that's okay. Um, um, if you have more, if you would like more information about, about her, her contact information is on the screen right now. So definitely feel free to, to reach out to her. And you have a, a promo you'd like to share? I do. I do. I would love to, to offer a free subscription to a one-month free subscription to the, to, uh, the, the 1,200 educational videos that I've made. These are in playlists. They, it starts at a preschool. And then I just teach the concept straight into uh, 12th grade. And each of the playlists are divided into a grade level. A child can use this at grade level or remedially if, if uh, they've lost a, some, some uh, traction here during COVID. Or for the uh, gifted child, that child could go ahead and, and uh, watch the other movies that are grades ahead. A subscription to jstutor.com gives the parent it gives the family the entire uh, to 
1,200 videos that I've made. So if there are multiple children in the home uh, of different grade levels. Also, I have two books that I've written. One is Teach Your Child to Learn. This it goes chapter by chapter showing what these pivotal basic skills are for each subject. And I did a preschool book, and that shows what uh, physical, cognitive, and social skills a child needs in order to do this one. So that's, uh, I'd be happy, very happy to, to share this, this free trial. When you check out, enter the code free trial at, at the registration and it, it'll pop up zero dollars for you. Awesome, awesome. So definitely take advantage of the free month subscription and go, oh, where can I get those books? Uh, at, the, at the website, js, at jstutor.com. Uh, you can read a synopsis of them and it'll give you a link to uh, Amazon to buy them. If you, have, if you have Prime, you can probably get those for free. Ah, free shipping, <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah, so you you heard that right, guys. So her, enter that code, free trial, go to the website, enter the code, and you get a free month subscription. And the two books that she just put up, you can also purchase on her website. And if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out to her. Her contact information is scrolling below. And Jan, thank you so much for being with me today. It was fun to, ch to talk shop. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to set you backstage. Uh, give me one second. I'm going to set you backstage. All right. And it is just you and me. I'm just going to look for my banner. Where is my banner? Fabulous. All right. So the, we have reached the conclusion of our episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please, um, what is my thought? Ah, you are on our YouTube channel right now, A Step Ahead Tutoring Services. So take a moment and hit that subscribe button. You will see a bunch of our videos and clips. And particularly for our web series, I definitely encourage you to, to check that out. So take a moment and hit that subscribe button. And let us know what you thought about today's episode by leaving a comment in the comment section. Your, your, um, your feedback will be much, much appreciated. And our, if you would like to learn more about A Step Ahead Tutoring Services, that is our company. And I know we had two tutoring companies on the, on the, on the episode today, but the more the merrier, <laughs> right? You know, definitely all love all around. But if particularly want to learn more about A Step Ahead Tutoring Services, our contact information is scrolling below as well. So if you want to learn more about our services, our workshops, definitely check out our website, www.asteppeheadtutoringservices.com. And also follow us on our various social media platforms. And one last thing before I disappear. We are also collecting donations to our crowdfunding campaign on ifundwomen.com. iFundWomen is a platform for women entrepreneurs to increase capital, but also receive coaching for their business services. So I'm going to show you a small video that will explain more. Hey there, have you heard of us? We're a small team of tutors here at A Step Ahead Tutoring Services. We believe that education and information should be accessible to everyone, regardless of income, race, or creed. We're dedicated to making this happen, but we need your help. Please consider donating to our crowdfunding campaign. No amount is too small. Your donation will allow us tutors to remain employed, offer free and low-cost services, and reach out to families nationwide. With your help, we can tackle the academic challenges of our students and the emotional, mental, and behavioral changes that result from these challenges. As a bonus, we can improve our communities in the process. Support us today. We're a for-profit company, your donation may not be tax-deductible. 
please consult a tax professional. Yes, so our unique link is scrolling below. Please take a moment and make a donation today. So thank you so much for joining us. Please tune in next time to, the, to our next episode. And don't forget tomorrow, October 28th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is Homeschooling 101. That is our virtual panel. And I hope to see you there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Signing off. Bye.